0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secrets of Saturn live stream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. This is episode 17, I believe. That means we've done 17 of these already. What a thing. Tonight, I am joined by Wayne McCroy, the Great Baldini, and Dr. Andrew Kaufman. We're going to take your questions. That's the whole point behind this. He actually requested it of us, and I think this is a brilliant, brilliant idea. Uh, I'm gonna put the phone number for the Google number that I set up for this in the chat but for those of you just listening it is 985-888-0586 don't call in yet because it'll just make a big old mess but that is the number when we are ready to do so anyway before we get started I have two little things I want to take care of One, first of course is our our little bit of sponsorship from our friend Randy from Houston I'm gonna do that first Did you know that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct! And this is where lower the friction comes in by putting a protective, lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com.
1: You never have to look at me. I, I save you from that, so. Okay. We're seeing uh, no audio uh, in the uh, YouTube chat. All right, there we go. I think
0: everyone's mics should be on. The pictures are on. I think we are good. There should be audio. There we go. Sorry, Andy wasn't uh, added (coughs) on to the source yet, so I had to get that all taken care of. No one should be on mute anymore. I see all of the microphones doing its thing. Everybody good? all
2: loud and obnoxious now?
0: I know, I know, I'm muted, I know, everything's got a huge lag, there should be sound now. (laughs) By the way, I boosted my audio a whole lot, Uh, can you tell me if it's too much, or if it's just right, because everyone always said that I was quieter than everyone else, and, well, I can't have that now, can I? So. Absolutely. Everything good, everybody's good, I'm loud enough, uh. All right, Wayne, you want to say hello to everyone?
2: Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Live. Uh, Shout out to our friends over at the Fringe FM. Uh, Shout out to Randy from Houston and his product, LowerTheFriction.com, our sponsor here. Uh, Let's get into it, guys. Let's uh, maximize our time with Dr. Kaufman.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Before we start, I do have a little piece I'm going to play from our friend Brett William Dietz, the composer from Shoot the Moon. He's a very good friend of mine, and it's called Three Kinds. It's a real short little thing. I hope you guys enjoy it. He just sent it to me today, and I really enjoyed it. So here you go. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that. I see a bunch of super chats coming in already. I will get to you in just a moment. So Dr. Kaufman, thank you so much for being here. Uh, This was actually his idea. And I'm, uh, I'm very honored that he would wants to take the time to do this with us. So uh, I'll be getting your questions momentarily. But Dr. Kaufman, do you want to take a moment and give your opinion on the current situation before we start taking questions?
3: Yeah, sure, sure thing. And Jason, I want to also thank you because uh, you said yes when I asked uh, for this opportunity, but I, I really want to be able to, you know, a lot of people have been reaching out to me with all kinds of questions, and I thought it would uh, be really fun to just be able to uh, answer them in real time like a real person. So uh, so it's a great opportunity for me. Um, uh, of course, I, I did uh, uh, Richie from Boston's show earlier, so... Um, I did uh, give some of this information, so I apologize if you've heard this already. But uh, just to give an update, and I think, uh, you know, the most important thing from my perspective to follow is, uh, which which really gauges the magnitude of what we're experiencing, is is the mortality rate. And so today's tally is up to about 19,000 deaths worldwide. Uh, Once again, that's a a very, very small number, uh, way less than uh, an average flu season. And um, I found some interesting information from Italy that I also presented there, uh, which basically shows that 99% of the deaths that occurred in Italy were in people that were very ill already. And only a tiny, tiny sliver, I think 0.8%, according to one government source in Italy, only two individual people actually died who were healthy. So just to keep everyone in perspective and uh, not to get too caught up in the fear uh, where there's no evidence whatsoever that we're dealing with anything dangerous. And even the uh, United Kingdom's government uh, downgraded the severity of the illness. Um, and their justification was that it has a low mortality rate. So they're basically saying it's not so serious anymore. Oh, really? Yes, this uh, just came out, um, and uh, sorry, I have the uh, exact words here because they, they have this category system um, in, in, uh, in the UK called a uh, high-consequence infectious disease, and this is basically something that is uh, an acute infectious disease. It has a high case fatality rate. There may not be effective prevention or treatment often difficult to recognize and detect rapidly, has the ability to spread in the community and in healthcare settings and requires um, an enhanced individual population and system response, which is all we're getting. We're getting that enhanced response. That's kind of a polite way of referring to medical martial law. But basically, this document put out by the government there is saying that we no longer need that response because it's been downgraded from... A high incident, a high consequence infectious disease.
0: I did see that article actually. I was wondering if that's what you were referring to. I saw that a little while ago. So, all right. I I took my audio down a little bit, by the way, guys. So, if it's still too hot, let me know. I'll bump it back down a little bit. Um, All right. So, there we are. Do you honestly feel that the measures that are being undertaken worldwide are necessary in your professional opinion?
3: No, absolutely not. And uh, I don't think you need to be a professional to see that there's a severe mich- mismatch in severity of the illness versus sev- severity of the response. And, uh, you know, my only interpretation of that can be is that there is another reason for this response that's not related to any illness.
0: Cool. All right. Let me hit these super chats real quick and see if we got any questions. Jillian says, paying for last week's shout out. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. Pat Drummond. Someone's calling already. I'm not ready for that, so you're going to have to wait. (laughs) (laughs) But it is coming coming through the system, so that's good. Uh, Pat Drummond for two, two R. I don't know what R is. Maybe rubles? I don't know. Thank you so much. Uh...
4: Pat Drummond for another 32.
0: Thank you so much. And I think we got one more here. I don't want to get far behind here. Don't call yet, guys. Give me a minute. We're, we're just trying to get everything set up and started. This is a new thing for me, too. I'm trying to figure out how we can make this all work. All right. Let me make sure I didn't miss any of these. Got you. Got you. Got you. All right. Thank you so much for the early Super Chats there. All right. So, gentlemen, anybody want have anything they want to say? Or shall I open the phone lines? I could be like Art Bell. Good evening, welcome to Coast to Coast AM, and we're going to be taking calls only from west
1: of the Rockies. That rings a bell.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's really necessary, but you know.
0: (laughs) All right, so let me get my Google thingy pulled up so I can actually answer calls. All right, I know we just had somebody calling in from a, looks like a 910 number. You're welcome to call back. Let's get this show on the road. And uh, by the way, thank you so much to everybody who came over from Richie from Boston. That's awesome that Andy asked, and you guys took up the challenge, and here you are. I hope you stay because we go over some pretty serious information every week. Uh, we try to be a little on the lighthearted side on the live streams just because we always talk about super heavy stuff. And it's, man, you just got to keep the levity up, you know? I'll tell yeah, you, that's a, that's a relief. sometimes
2: we got to inject a little. Sometimes you got to inject a little humor in things and and try to keep the mood a little lighter, because some of the stuff we look at is really dark at times. So, uh, you know, we try and look at it with, you know, an eye towards being more lighthearted when we do these live streams.
0: (laughs) Rose wants me to do a Dr. Kissinger impression. We will have our (laughs) new world order. We will have it. We will have our new world order. These viruses just the first step toward the new world order. Thank you very much.
1: That's pretty good, Jason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me see if I can get this call up. There we go. Whoop. Hey, it's ringing. All right. The joys of technology. Five through seven. Can I make this work? Why are you not coming through here? Ha 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 Let me try that again. I might have to call them back. For some reason, it kicked over. There we go. Incoming call.
4: Boom. Call from... Chris.
0: Chris. Call from
4: Chris. To
0: accept, press 1. Hello. Let's see if this works. You are our first uh, test caller. How you doing?
4: I'm doing well. How are you, Jason?
0: I am awesome. Now, here's the question. Can any of you with me on Skype hear the caller? Yes. yes. You can hear it. Hello. Oh, fantastic. It is routing properly then. you got it working. Great. All right. Thanks. That was the great experiment. Now, I don't know if you'll hear them, though, because only my channel goes to the the calls and the Skype and stuff like that. So you'll have to listen to the answers off air. But this is great. At least they can hear you. So go ahead. Fire away. What would you like to ask?
5: Well, I'd like to uh, know a little bit more about trace minerals that Dr. talks about and also detoxification uh, if we are, if there is a mandatory vaccination, um, what we can do to detox the aluminum from our system.
0: All right. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it.
5: You're very welcome. Take Appreciate care. you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right.
0: I am thrilled that this is working. I really wasn't sure if all this routing I did was going to actually function live on the air. I was waiting for it to blow up in my face. So cool. All right, Dr. Kaufman. It's all you.
3: All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Those are two uh, really good topics. And um, I did uh, discuss um, some recommendations for how to deal if you're in a situation where you have to accept the vaccine um, and, and you make the decision to go that route. Um, I want you know people to be able to protect themselves, to and one, I think I'm thinking actually about uh, writing up that protocol uh, uh, that okay. maybe I can give out I to people at a later date. Now. So Good because back. it is a little bit detailed, but let me just um, go over briefly uh, the recommendations, and also uh, I'm planning to do my next show on my YouTube channel called uh, Medicamentum Authentica. Uh, where I'm going to discuss how you can uh, treat a upper respiratory infection. I'll also talk about the vaccine protocol a little bit uh, more in depth, and I will talk about how you can just keep yourself healthy uh, throughout the typical flu season. So let me start with the Shilajit, uh, because this is actually part of the vaccine protocol, and I've talked a lot about this. And uh, let me also say that chelated is not the only preparation uh, for trace minerals. There's also fulvic acid or fulvic minerals. And what these are is that there is an ancient forest that basically decayed and left this tar layer buried in the earth. And it's all of the inorganic material that is left from the plants and animals, which essentially is, uh, is metals but not toxic metals, uh, but these are trace metals or minerals, and it would be things that your body needs in very, very small quantities, so not like iron where you need a lot of it or calcium, but just a tiny, tiny amount, you know, things like uh, molybdenum, uh, for example, that you might not have even heard of. And the way that your body uses these minerals is that all of your different enzymes and proteins that have function, many of them uh, ha- use the mineral in one particular little location to uh, result in a certain function. And I think probably most of your listeners are familiar with hemoglobin, which has iron in it. Um, and the iron is what actually binds the oxygen that carries it through your glo- through your blood. So these minerals have like a, a really important role. But because of modern farming practices, they've essentially been stripped out of the soil. And so we are really, as a population, are pretty deficient in these trace minerals. And so I think it's important for everyone to uh, take some kind of supplement uh, to make up for this. And one of the the reason I bring this up in the context of a vaccine is because, the, uh, in my opinion, the most toxic uh, substance in vaccines is the aluminum hydroxide, which is a metallic powder, uh, very fine uh, microparticles. And <clears throat> The aluminum, just like the mercury that may be present uh, you know, in your fillings, um, can actually substitute for these trace minerals in a pinch. It's like your body you know, would rather have something else, but it'll settle for what's available. And if you take the proper um, trace minerals, it will essentially displace those bad metals out of the proteins. And if you're having good bowel movements, you will they'll go right into the toilet and you get them out of your body. And so so you basically don't want to leave any openings for these toxic metals to come in, and that's the importance of shilajit. And uh, I guarantee that if you start taking this, you're going to feel something different in your body. Something is going to improve. Like, for example, one thing that this can really help with is um, what's called peripheral neuropathy, where people get... Uh, numbness and tingling in their extremities, like in their feet and hands. And often just by taking Shilajit, they could have significant uh, relief from that condition without doing any additional uh, measures. So it's a really excellent thing. It's kind of weird to um, use this product though, because it's like this tarry gummy substance and you have to like, you know stick a little fork or spoon and pull up a little bit. But you just pop it in a glass of water, let it dissolve, and uh, drink it down later on. I like to use uh, hot water and make sort of a tea out of it. But um, as long as you get it down a few times a week, uh, I recommend taking it three or four times a week. You don't need it every day. And the brand I recommend is Mumio. That's M-U-M-I-J-O. You can find this on um, eBay, Amazon, and probably some other uh, retailers.
0: Cool. All right, let's see if I can get that other caller in uh, that we kept missing. I'm going to call them back and see if it works in reverse.
2: Call. All right, Doc, well, we got a little uh, break between the callers here. Here's another question for you That's she legit. Uh, how about people with uh, methylation problems, people with uh, gene mutations that uh, cause them trouble with methylation? Will that affect them in any way? Would they mm. still be able to use that or is there a special protocol?
3: Well, uh, are you talking about, like, people uh, with cancer or people with uh, some kind of genetic syndrome like uh, cystic fibrosis? Uh, people
2: with, like, a genetic condition where they have, like, a maybe a specific uh, genetic mutation, right. something like the uh, MTHFR gene mutation.
3: Right. Well, uh, yes, uh, you're, you know, no matter what, your body's still going to need these minerals to uh, function properly. Um, uh, you know, it's... I'm not aware of any uh, disease condition that this would cause uh, a problem, so I think it'd be pretty safe. I mean, it's essentially like eating food because if we had proper food, you would get these trace minerals um, in your in your food source when you eat fruits and vegetables that grow in the earth or eat animals that eat those fruits and vegetables in the earth. So it's not a foreign substance. It's not a synthetic chemical, uh, you know, like a pharmaceutical. This is a, a purely natural thing that that your body just needs.
2: Cool. Okay.
0: Cool. Good to know. (laughs) All right. I'm gonna try calling Jamie back. I think that was the name I heard. Let's see if this works in reverse. Hello. 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 I think we've got you on the air. Can you hear me? Okay.
6: Yeah,
0: I can hear you. Awesome. And I think you said your name was Jamie, right?
7: You,
0: yes, sir. Awesome. Nice to meet you, man. What can we do for you tonight? What would you like to ask Dr. Kaufman?
6: Uh, yeah, so I was listening to Dr. Kaufman earlier on the uh, Rich from Boston uh, podcast. Anyway, uh, I wanted to just ask, what, what is the connection between autism and aluminum hydroxide?
0: Autism and aluminum hydroxide?
6: Yeah, he said earlier he believed that was the, the main connection between uh, the neurologic symptoms we see with vaccines, and I was just wondering if you could expound
0: uh, just more how that works. Okay. Did you catch that, Dr. Kaufman? Uh,
3: yes, I did. And uh, uh, this is something that I definitely want to talk more about. It's a little bit uh, complicated, so please like, interrupt me if I'm too technical or if you're not getting this uh, so I can explain it. And I definitely want to uh, refer the listeners to um, some books by Forrest Moretti. Uh, The one is called uh, Crooked, uh, Man-Made Disease Explained, and that really goes in uh, depth with this theory. And then there's another book that he wrote called The Autism Vaccine, which is specifically about autism. But essentially, there are many diseases that can arise, and it really depends on the differences between individuals and their experience. But what happens is that um, when you get the vaccine injected into your body, the aluminum usually just actually stays at the injection site. So your your body's immune system, which uh, one of the main functions of your immune system, is, is not fighting germs, but it's actually getting rid of toxins around your body or storing them in places that, where they won't cause damage um, if they can't get them out of your body. So what it does with aluminum, and this has uh, you know, been well studied, you can look at mainstream scientific uh, publications to find out about this, is that it causes uh, what's what's known as a granuloma. And this is like a protective mechanism. It's like walling it off so that it can't get into your tissues and cause any damage. Okay, so so that's what your body initially does. It walls it off, it leaves it there, um, but it's not gonna stay there forever, most likely. So when you experience some kind of stressful situation, and this could be from an acute illness, it could be from an injury, um, your body's immune system responds because, you know, your skin is a major protective organ against any outside um, harm, right? And if your skin is damaged, by the way, which is actually results when you give the vaccine, right? You're breaking through the main barrier we have to protect our internal body from any toxic substances outside. Um then your body responds. So, so let's say that you, you've had the vaccine, the aluminum is hanging out at the site of the injection in this walled off area, but then you know you're, uh, you're riding your bike, you fall off and you break your ankle, okay? So now your immune system is gonna respond to the injury. However, your immune system is very smart. So it doesn't just respond to the site of the injury, it also responds to your brain. Okay, so the immune system is so worried about the brain that anytime it gets activated, basically it, it sends some support personnel up to the brain to make sure everything's okay up there. Now, what happens, uh, unfortunately, some of the time is that when your immune system is called upon to respond to such an injury, it, the immune cells that are in that Waldorf granuloma might actually come out and the aluminum will be piggybacked with them when they respond. So if this occurs, you get the your immune cells bringing some of the aluminum to your ankle where the injury is, and it's bringing some up to the brain. And this was a big mystery because before, uh, about 15 or so years ago, uh, it was not known that the lymph system, which is like the special vessels for the immune system, separate from arteries and veins, the immune system has its own vessels called lymph lymphatic vessels or lymph tissue. You've all heard of lymph nodes before. And it was discovered that actually the lymph vessels do go into the brain. So uh, it's amazing that for hundreds of years, like the best anatomists were not able to find this. And then just in like, 2003, something like that, they finally discovered it. So this showed the pathway that those immune cells can piggyback the aluminum up to the brain. And the the spot where they're dumped is right where uh, the cranial nerves, which are the nerves that uh, supply function to your head and neck area mostly and so this is why you could see after vaccines and then a subsequent injury sometimes right after the vaccine because when you especially with young children if you're giving them four or five vaccines at one time that's a major trauma for your body so in that case it's like the aluminum doesn't even have time to get walled off it because it's responding to the trauma from the injections which is compounded by the emotional re- reaction of the child if they're afraid and resisting and they have to be restrained so in this case basically the aluminum goes right from the vaccines right to the brain and that's why many times you can look at photographs and see a before and after a vaccine and you can see that uh, there's asymmetry in the face or crooked faces which is what the title of that book uh, comes from and Dr. Andrew Molden, who has now uh, mysteriously died of a heart attack at a young age, was actually the first one to publicly talk about this. And he was actually developed a way to use um, photographs from childhood and uh, use some computer programming to actually detect small deviations in symmetry that he could prove that a subsequent illness was caused by that vaccine because you have the before picture and then the after picture. In the after picture, there'd be crooked smiles. There'll be one eyelid is lagging down lower than the other, or the uh, pupil, the gaze of the eye is deviated outward or inward, all signs of that cranial nerve damage. All, all right. right. I appreciate
6: it. No, sorry, Jason, but yeah, I appreciate that Dr. Kaufman That I pretty much answered my question. I just wanted to say one thing to the listeners. I mean, I'm a clinical pharmacist myself, uh, PharmD. I mean, so, uh, you know, I got a doctorate and this stuff. And uh, what I can say is, I mean, they never they never tell us, you know, anything about all these side effects and autism. They just tell us, you know, vaccines are great. And to, you know, to give, to give them as as the schedule says, to give them. It's, you know, I, I can say firsthand that you go all through pharmacy school, but I mean, they never they never really, they, they, they've never said anything about what Dr. Kaufman just said. And so pharmacists are unaware as well. And uh, that's part of the problem. But Jason, I appreciate the opportunity man. been a long-time listener. Dr. Kaufman, thank
0: you, sir. Thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Take care, man. You too, brother. Okay, I've got a list that came up. I'm going to try and get through them. I see area code 307 was one of the ones I missed. But uh, earlier on, Dr. Kaufman, somebody asked if viruses are living things or not. And i uh, pretty sure I know the answer to
3: this one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> go ahead and uh, let's hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, yeah, I would love to talk about that, and and let me uh, just compliment you on having uh, Parker and Lester on your show. Um, they they just did a fantastic job going through this material. They they really have researched this to the ultimate degree. So I, you know, I would definitely direct anyone who wants to really know more about this to listen to their interview um, on uh, I think it's episode two hundred five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, but let me say that. Um, What is represented in these scientific papers where they say that they proved um, that that this virus exists and caused disease is essentially just a particle of, um, well, you know, they said it was proteins. I'm not sure if it's only proteins, but as cells go through a renewal process or when they get damaged by some toxin, um, and this, you know, is an ongoing process always in your body, but it's ramped up at times of illness. Um, the cells extrude particles from inside, and maybe they're trying to purge out something that is uh, causing a malfunction, or maybe it's just a natural process. I mean, we know about this uh, programmed cell death uh, process that your cells just, when they get old, it's called senescence. They basically fragment into little bits. It's called apoptosis, and so it's these little particles that originally come from the cell, but they're you can see them out in the in, in the, the uh, serum, like in the fluid outside of the cells from the blood or whatever tissue. And I think those are most likely what is, rep- is, uh, is actually represented by what they're saying is a virus. Now, this is not like a life form that has an organized structure, and it also doesn't um, carry out the essential functions of life like uh, reproduction, digestion, um, etc., so it it's definitely not a life form and uh you know I think it's extremely unlikely that uh, th- this is anything uh, this is a normal finding it's not something that causes disease.
0: All right. I hope that answers some of the questions out there. Obviously with the fact that they're saying that this is a virus that's a very po- important topic to cover. So uh,
3: I would Well, I would- le- if I, if I could add something, Jason, because, you know, the word virus uh, comes from the Latin, meaning uh, noxious substance or poison. And they used the term long before the modern uh, conceptualization that a virus is a living thing. Um, back in the day when they thought disease was just some mysterious uh, poison in the air that spread the disease, they called that a virus as well. So there were people studying viruses before this modern conception. And I think if you stick with that def- definition, that a virus is a, a toxin, essentially, well then, that, then you're correct. Then viruses do cause disease based on that definition. Cool. And I just took another caller here,
0: area code 307. Can you hear me?
3: Yes. Awesome. Who, am we, who are we speaking to?
0: Uh, Benjamin. Benjamin. Nice to hear from you, man. What can we do for you tonight?
6: Well, I had a few questions. I wonder if you could, uh, we'll have the doctor uh, engage this a little bit. Um, first, urophagia, um, drinking in the urine. You know, this upside down world, it wouldn't surprise me if this is actually something that could be healthy. And there's uh, something I've been uh, looking into as far as uh, the chrysum oil, absorbing the seed. It's like a tantric white sex where you can clench the pelvis and absorb the seed in a way, and it's supposed to uh, raise up and help enlighten you in a way. And if you can also engage with the topic of uh, organite, if there's any physical attributes the doctor might be aware
1: of. um, And I'll just listen to that off.
3: Thank you. Jason, it was a little difficult to hear that uh, question. Maybe you could paraphrase it for me.
0: Oh, I think I lost them. I was having a really hard time with that one, too. Let me call them back and see if I can get a... uh...
1: I know the last portion of it, uh, he it was asking about um, your thoughts on Organite and if there's any Organite, you know, yeah. value in that.
3: Yes, yeah, so I actually have a friend who makes Organite, um, and uh, I don't really know that much about it, but I've heard from some other people that uh, that they feel it's a pretty good thing.
7: All
2: right. It's one of those things, I, I just, I don't think it could hurt, you know what I mean? Oh, it, absolutely. It, won't, it certainly won't, won't do any harm to try
0: all right, let me get to the next one here. We have. I have a list now. I'm sure there's more professional ways to do this. Unfortunately, I don't know what that would be.
2: No, we are not by far professionals yet. So.
1: <laughs> you need a, you, you a Getner unit. <laughs> <laughs> Getner done? <laughs> yeah, that's a. It's a, it's a thing. It's a phone interface. Tele, you know, back in the days with the pots plain old tele, uh, telephone line, uh, it would actually interface uh, a telephone line into an audio system. Uh, they, they don't use it as much anymore because people are you know doing this sort of thing. But, right. Everything's uh, digital. Because
2: but, digital.
1: Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> digital works so much better. Showing
2: your age there again, Paul Dini.
1: Yeah, because the internet, dude. Uh, Let right me get now, another tape out here and
0: uh, continue this show. All right. Did I miss anybody? Uh, Chat room, tell me if there's somebody I need to call back. And, okay, yep, here's one I missed. All right. I'm sure I'll figure out a better way to do this next time we want to take calls. But for the moment, we'll wing it as we have to.
2: Yeah, bear with us, folks. We're still uh, getting used to the technology. All right.
3: I just love being able to hear people's voices and, uh, you know, hear the the tenor, their attitude, how they're feeling about right. things.
0: Uh, yeah, that's great. I love being able to do that. That's so cool. I might have to get some kind of external mixer and just route everything back into itself so that everybody can hear everybody, but we'll make do as we have to. All right, here we go. Hi, you've reached
8: 1818... Nine. Oh, there we go. Call
4: from.
0: Whoa. All right. Didn't quite catch the name there. Hello. Oh hey. Oh, oh hello there. I'm calling from the UK. Well hello. Oh goodness gracious. Must be late for you there then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, about I don't know what one o'clock
9: in the morning I guess. No, nearly two. <laughs> Seeing as everyone's in lockdown, there's not really all that much to do in any case. So.
0: <laughs> right, right.
9: Yeah. Uh, well, I hope you're all well. And uh, I just had a quick question. I'm sorry if I've jumped in front of the queue of anyone. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> lovely. Uh, yeah, well, my question really is, um, if the if the vir- viruses can't survive, say, you know... Um, be passed on, say, then what is it that people actually get ill from? And I'm not saying that the uh, COVID is necessarily real, but my brother-in-law hasn't been very well with something. And so, I mean, other than the normal uh, explanation, which is it's a virus, I mean, is it bacteria? I mean, does bacteria make people ill, or is it all just kind of uh, a hoax? Is it stress? Is it anything like that? (laughs) I don't know if uh, my questions made sense. I'm getting a little bit nervous now on the phone.
0: That's all right. Dr. Coffin. did you catch that?
3: Yes, yes, I did. And uh, and that's an excellent question. And I know that uh, a lot of people out there um, have this question. So, you know, my opinion is that neither bacteria nor viruses uh, cause any disease. And I think it's really important uh, when you're looking at this um, that you, you know, there, there's this uh, dogma, right, that, that bacteria and viruses cause disease. But if you actually go and look, like, say, what's the experimental evidence of that, um, even by the, the same rules that were put out by the people that proposed this, right, like a Robert Koch. Uh, the German scientist who was a proponent of germ theory, he came up with a set of rules to prove that a bacteria causes an illness. But the thing is that those rules have not been valid for any of these illnesses. And I'll give you an example uh, that that everybody knows about, strep throat. So strep throat is a, a supposedly on caused... Moment. Sorry, Dr. Sure, supposedly, uh, no, no, no problem. It's supposedly caused by streptococcus, Right. But streptococcus is, normally lives in our body, so how could we have a healthy person that has streptococcus and no disease and an ill person that has streptococcus and a sore throat? It, the, the streptococcus can't be the cause uh, because it's present in both cases. So this is uh, the kind of things that you find if you try to look through the actual experiments. and it's really important because if the burden of proof is not met that these things cause disease, then every other scientific finding that's built upon that foundation is false. And it can't be true because the underlying premise is not true. So it's important not to get caught up on discussing this at the higher level, like, you know, about contagion, like just because we don't have uh, a certain explanation for what is the appearance of contagion, doesn't prove that viruses exist the only way to prove that viruses exist is to take them out of a sick person separate them so that they're in a pure form then characterize them and look at them and if that were done then we wouldn't be having this discussion but that's never been achieved for any of these viruses that cause disease so you bring up a good question what is the cause of disease now There's not enough time or information for me to tell you what is the cause of COVID-19 related disease, if if there is such a thing. I think it's quite possible that what they're calling that is actually just the regular flu, but uh, they have this test with a very high false positive rate of 80%. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in people without symptoms. Um, I'm not sure what the numbers are for people that have symptoms, but essentially they designed this test that it would be positive in many people who have any, almost any acute illness. So it doesn't really tell you much. So I'm not really sure what illness uh, the people allegedly um, sick with coronavirus actually have, but I can give you um, an interesting example. Um, so um, I forget the exact year because I'm I'm not very good with uh, dates and history. But back in colonial times in Philadelphia, there was a major outbreak of yellow fever. And uh, it's been uh, well studied now that yellow fever is actually caused by the putrid chemicals from decaying, rotting animals in the water supply and, and other waste products. Uh, so in Philadelphia's water supply, there was this uh, type of issue that year. And um, once that material was moved and the water was cleaned up, the, there was no more cases of yellow fever. So what I'm saying is basically that this was a toxic exposure uh, that caused it. Um, I could give you another example. Um, I want to refer again to Forrest Moretti, that he has a book I didn't mention before called The Moth and the Iron Lung, and uh, this this is an excellent uh, analysis, and essentially he proposed the hypothesis that it was um, these insecticides that were initially used to combat the invasive gypsy moth uh, that actually caused... The polio outbreaks, which occurred in the summer, were the only time that they were spraying for the moths, um, and this uh, particular pesticide was lead arsenate, and uh, later on, they, um, they stopped using that and switched to DDT, uh, which was also uh, quite toxic, and we're all familiar with that. So there's two examples of diseases that were allegedly caused by viruses that have a pretty clear explanation. Now, if you if you go ask mainstream doctors if that's what causes them, they're, of course, they're, they're not going to know about that at all. I had to do quite a bit of research uh, to learn about, about this stuff.
0: Cool. All right, Area Code 503, I just took your call. You're on the air. Great.
10: Well, I just want to say thanks for everything you guys do, first of all. And uh, Thank you. my question was, basically, the CDC said that they have uh, a test kit that they put out. I, what I'm most curious about is what is the actual method that the testing, like how do they detect the actual virus, assuming that that exists?
0: All right.
3: Cool. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.
0: All right, Dr. Kaufman, go for it.
3: Yeah, well, this is an, an excellent question and something uh, really important to think about. And, in fact, um, all of the tests for any kind of uh, supposed virus, uh, none of them directly measure or detect any virus. So you'd think the best test would be, right, to take a sample from wherever the uh, disease is in your body, right, and then grow the infectious organism out of that uh, tissue. Collar or right? please hold. And Okay. Go ahead, Dr. Govin. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so if you, you know, if you were able to cough up some sputum or give a blood sample, then they could, you know, grow the virus in a culture and characterize it and say, okay, this is what it is. But none of these tests work that way. And obviously, based on what I said before, they can't have a test work that way because there's nothing that they can isolate. So, what they do is they, they have this uh, other thing they measure, and it's usually an antibody. Sometimes it's a, a small piece of genetic material, um, but these things are very nonspecific. So, for example, with the HIV test, um, which measures an antibody, there are over 50 conditions that give you the same antibody in the blood, and one of them being pregnancy. Okay, so so it's very very a, non-specific. Um, so I'm telling you that all of these antibody tests, like hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and coronavirus, they're all not measuring any virus directly. So I, I came up with a way to explain this. I think that is a little bit easier to understand. So Jason, let's say that we wanted to um, create a test to identify you. Which wouldn't be that hard, right? You have a very unique appearance, but we wanted to, to detect you out of a big crowd. Like, let's say you were at, uh, you know, um, what's the big uh, sporting uh, the venue Superdome. in New Orleans? The Superdome. So you're at the Superdome, right? And we want to pick you out of the crowd there, right? So we give you a uh, shiny gold LeMay baseball cap to wear. Okay. Okay. Very very unique baseball hat. Right. But but maybe there's someone else who had it because they were selling it like a block away from the stadium at one of the street vendors. So instead of looking for you, we've instructed our testers to look for the hat instead of you. Okay. so they're going to identify the hat. And and so what they do is they start looking through the crowd scanning and they see a hat. They're going to say, there's Jason right but but what what if what if you got tired of wearing a gold lame hat right and you found somebody and said will you wear this i'm tired of this thing (laughs) right and so then we like you know we rush up to that person and we're like you're not jason right right so so what the what these virus tests are testing for is they're looking for the hat and anybody could wear a hat
0: all right i i I get it (laughs) That, that that actually makes perfect sense. All right, caller, go ahead and uh come on board. Who we got on the on the line? Hi there. Hi.
5: And my name's Dana. Hi. Hello, Dana. <laughs> Hello, Dana. Hi. It's actually gotten so crazy. I'm um, I'm calling from uh, Los Angeles, California.
0: Ooh, ooh. Okay. <laughs> I yeah, know how things the, are there. The heart. The oh, back.
5: <laughs> the best area to be right now. <laughs> So I, you know, I'm going to just keep it brief. My, my main question, there it's not really a question, it's more of like a theory that I've been having since I actually watched your and Crow's um, uh, RH negative uh, talk that you guys had a while back, you know, about the RH negative blood type. And I guess I had seen a, a comparison in, because I, I personally am like RH negative and I tend to see that, you know, I'm more affected by, um, you know, sunlight and certain vaccines will actually make me faint. And so I guess what the, the question is or the concern is, is, you know, is coronavirus just kind of uh, like a, a word for basically a vaccine or in, in a sense, CRISPR uh, that, you know, they're kind of one of the same, right? A viral mRNA replicating um, sort of uh, something that gets into your blood type and basically produces more and more proteins on the blood cell. And and in that, making it so that all and most almost all people would be Rh positive. I mean, is that like crazy to think that, or is that like I'm really, really curious, like what your guys' take would be on, on someone saying something like that?
3: So uh, can I can I just get a little clarification? Is she still there?
5: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm let, well, let I, me ask it's, you, it's, uh, Dana, Dana, this. right? Um, I'm
3: sorry. You were saying that something would. Uh, create proteins in the body what what was that that you were saying would uh, make the proteins
5: well I guess I'm curious if somehow that was injected through certain vaccines like if the vaccines that they're actually pushing are some sort of CRISPR, like genetically mutated you know like like however again I'm not like a doctor or anything so I don't know the best uh, terminology for what I'm trying to explain but it would be something that is able to change, you know, say RH negative is a very a unique blood type. And, and it was a blood type that made you more in tune to things in um, like certain vaccines that you'd be given or certain vibrations that may be able to, I don't know, just say, for example, control, control your, your moods and, and the way that you process things. So ma- basically making you ne- numb to things if you were um, RH positive, meaning having more proteins on your blood type yeah I, I, I could be way off and i could just be crazy sounding so I'm, am I, am i far off and and thinking that a vaccine being given to you would uh replicate itself and make your your dna create more and more protein filled blood cells as opposed to
3: i get it i are get it i's
5: negative yeah
3: yeah, so uh, that's quite an interesting idea and I, I think there's a couple of points I make and I think actually, Jason, didn't, you, you did a lot of research about RH, so maybe you could weigh in uh, about the sort of the non-medical aspect of it uh, to this. But what I'd say is that, um, first of all, it's very difficult to assemble all the little parts that you need to, to actually synthesize new proteins. Okay, so essentially, you'd have to have an actual organism to do that. So it, you could put bacteria in the vaccine, mm-hmm. and a ba- bacteria could synthesize a protein. And in fact, a lot of like uh, genetically modified uh, products are made that way, like citric acid, for example. But I don't think mm-hmm. uh, you know if they're if they're just putting strands of DNA um, and other random uh, proteins in there, it's hard to say. Now, now it's It has been shown, though, that if you inject just bare DNA into a person that it can be incorporated in the cells and possibly transcribed into a protein. But I don't think it could change your RH status because what that is is when you're you're RH negative, there's actually a protein that you don't make, and that protein normally goes on the surface of your red blood cells. And so Mm -hmm. in order to change you from Rh negative to positive, it would have to like somehow change all your blood cells or get into the blood stem cells so that every new cell they made, uh, would be that different phenotype of Rh positive. And, uh, you know, they've actually tried to do things like that to change the, to do gene therapy. And, uh, and even with the targeted techniques to try to do that, they've had very, very limited success, uh, if at all and And that technology <laughs> yeah. actually was around when I was in college because I did uh, a term paper <laughs> on gene therapy. It must have been about mm-hmm. nineteen uh, ninety four Cool. Uh, as far as
0: the r h negative thing, yeah, there the big thing we were trying to uncover is what's the difference? Why do so many people who claim to be of elitist kind of a thing? Uh, Seem to be RH negative, and we were trying to uncover, well, what's so special about this? What is the difference in all that? And the one thing we found is that uh, some people do seem to be more or less susceptible to certain kinds of cancers and things like that, depending upon their blood type. However, I don't have complete documented scientific proof of that, so that's not something we can... Nail down or anything like that. It's more of a conjecture. Like it seems to be something like this, and a lot of the people that we have heard about, for instance, from Giancarlo, uh, that Rh negative thing seems to be a deciding factor on who might be brought up the ladder a few rungs, as opposed to the rest of us who are, <coughs> excuse me, just poor Rh positive people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting I stuff. A, I, have, a I get.
5: It's like it's not a. It's not a quick answer and it, and it may not even be in the medical field i guess when it comes to the theoretical end of it it's just it's just i guess you could say just theories but yeah, i was just curious your your guys's both uh, both uh you know opinions on it so it's just exciting to kind of get it in the air for sure
0: cool no no problem thanks dana so much for calling wayne go ahead and uh and weigh in uh, yeah, uh,
2: I think uh, Dana was a little confused because of uh, the the whole glycoprotein layer on the RH positive blood cell compared to the RH negative blood cell. I think that's kind of what's going on there as far as, uh, you know, synthesizing proteins, bacteria uh, within vaccines could definitely do that, uh, especially uh, if you're looking at the nanotech end of it. They do have bacteriophages that can carry payloads, nanotech payloads on them, which this is just, uh, you know, this This is not a living thing. This is based on a virus. So people are aware that's what a bacteriophage is. This is a type of virus that could uh, actually inject material into a bacteria. So with this type of technology, they could deliver some kind of a DNA or RNA payload via a bacteriophage into bacteria, which could be injected via the uh, vaccine. Now, are they putting bacteria in vaccines? Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> they're very nebulous with some of the things they tell you a lot of them uh, hide it behind the wall of propriet proprietary
7: right. so yeah.
2: uh, it's hard to say for sure what's in this but yeah i have seen some some studies where they they could uh, potentially use like say a bacteriophage type thing as a, uh, a a device to carry a payload into a bacteria to uh, actually get within a body so i mean the potential you know maybe there to synthesize proteins But uh, I don't think it's a feasible thing to say that it could change your blood type or,
0: you know, your RH factor. Right, because that would be like an actual genetic thing, wouldn't it?
3: Well, you guys, I can clarify, and Wayne, you made some excellent, excellent points there. And I've actually worked with bacteriophages in the laboratory uh, back in college. So they they do um, have ones that can, uh, you know, put certain genes or mutations into a bacterial colony. And and it's not the only technology that is available for that. They also have what's called plasmids which are circular pieces of DNA that would just be in solution and uh, the bacterial cells readily take them up so like a common thing would be to have a gene that confers resistance to an antibiotic and you you often use this as a marker in scientific experiments but the thing is that so bacterial uh, organisms are one cell right our body is 10 trillion cells so it's the technology to do genetic modification and gene therapy in bacteria is well established. Um, it's been around for, you know, 25, 30 years at least. And, but they have not, successfully, to my knowledge, been able to change any genes in an entire uh, human organism, or even in an organ. Uh, or even part of an organ uh, very successfully. Because the thing is that phages exist in nature. And um, there's actually some evidence they may actually be a different form of the same bacteria. Um, and they have, um, you know, all of the machinery already available to um, s- exchange genetic material between bacterial yeah. cells. Uh, Caller, please hold on moment. It's actually quite likely that the, their function is to help the bacteria survive uh, rather than wipe them out as uh, it's often uh, described in textbooks. So there's nothing like this for humans. There's no, um, We don't know of any microorganisms that exchange uh, genetic material among human cells. Wow. Uh, $20
0: super chat from
3: Steve Mercer. Thank you
0: so much. He's asking, are there actual virus pictures or is it all CGI like NASA?
3: Great question. Um, So for the phages um, and other uh, what are called viruses of single celled organisms, like they would uh, be a virus of amoeba or algae or bacteria, um, those viruses have been isolated. Uh, properly and chemically characterized and photographed. So if you look up uh, bacteriophage, that's P-H-A-G-E, um, you know, on your search engine and go do an image search, look for some black and white images that look look like they're from a real microscope and you, you'll see uh, like a, a head on it that has a geometrical shape and some kind of tail. And they often use this similar kind of model to represent these uh, human viruses that cause disease, but you cannot find any actual pictures of an isolated virus particle that are real pictures. So if you see any isolated virus pictures, they're probably going to be a computer graphic (laughs) image, which is just made by an artist. You can find real photographs from a microscope, um, but it'll never show the isolated virus. It'll show like a human cell. And then it'll show these like dots and specks, which is what I was describing earlier in the show of these extruded particles of uh, random proteins and other uh, biological materials. But there's no way to tell what that is. They don't mm. use any specific label. It doesn't have a distinctive shape. It just looks like a little blob or speck.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I remember you addressing this before and it's, it's just like, okay, so what are we talking about here? Shouldn't an electron mic- microscope be able to pull this thing up enough? But apparently not, is the answer.
3: Apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, TJ
0: (laughs) Trusty, thank you for the $1 super chat. Uh, Next caller, 772 area code. You're on the air. Thank you.
4: Hi. um, Years ago, my husband was on clonazepam for PTSD. My name's Vicki. And they took him off because they said that veterans were beginning to get Dementia when they got older. Well, my husband about 10 years later wound up with dementia. And he is also, um, sensitive to aluminum, can't use it in deodorants or anything. Um, did clomazepam have any kind of like aluminum or something in it?
3: Yeah, great question. Uh, you're definitely asking the right guy because my uh, background is in psychiatry, so I'm very familiar with clonazepam. Uh, this is a medication that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. It's uh, of the class called benzodiazepines. So other ones are like Valium, Xanax, the brand name of, of that one is called clonopin. So these medications are really should be almost never used. Like it, it, it's good if you are having a seizure, it can stop a seizure. Um, but any uh, prolonged or ongoing use is going to, as the caller said, it's it's going to increase your risk of dementia, and it doesn't take that long. But beyond when that, it actually increases about, your risk of death.
4: About six years.
3: Yeah, six years. That that's definitely a long time. So, there are several large studies that look are looking at medicines like this uh, when they're used for sleep, and what they find that is if you take as little as fourteen. Doses per year. So you take it for 14 calendar days out of a whole year. That's not much at five years your Survival is in is decreased. So in other words, you're more likely to die in the next five years just by taking 14 sleeping pills Okay so uh, so it's, it's definitely a good thing that um, he's not taking it any longer, but it does not contain any aluminum. But I do want to strongly advise everyone out there to stop using anything with aluminum in it, like, uh, uh, like deodorants uh, or antiperspirants. Definitely uh, that, that is getting absorbed through your skin and it's, it's making the problem worse. Also, stay away from using aluminum foil to cook with or store food. It's been shown that if you heat food in aluminum foil, the food actually absorbs aluminum. Same thing if you store food in it, especially if the food has liquid in it. Um I wouldn't use any aluminum cookware. Um, you know, it's bad enough that we get the aluminum from vaccines, and then aluminum is being sprayed into the skies upon us. We don't need to uh, add any more to the mix.
0: I yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and, and we wonder why Alzheimer's is through the roof, and it never existed or hardly existed years ago. All right, thank you so much, caller. I appreciate it.
4: Okay, thank you. Uh-
0: I am trying to find if there's a volume for the ringing on, on the Google Voice because I didn't realize how loud that was going to be. And all I see is where to turn it off and on. So if anybody knows how to use Google Voice better than I do, let me know and I'll turn that down so it doesn't interfere with what we're doing. But anyway, all right, the, the call is open. I know we missed a few. I don't know who we got to and who we didn't get to. So you're welcome to call back in now. Gentlemen, anybody got anything you want to chime in with? I'm, I'm kind of being the... Uh, the ringleader here, and and just directing everything, as opposed to yakking my face off like I usually do. Well, yeah, we're something.
2: usually a bit louder too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I have something that might lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. And uh, it's a, it's kind of a follow up about the trace minerals and chelajit I was talking about before because um, you know I was thinking about this this uh, this actually did have kind of, kind of a profound effect on me um, and what it Calm did it is it uh, it, uh, it it made my uh, my private area function like a twenty year old again oh my. <laughs> so so all you ladies out there that uh, need a little extra attention um you know get your husbands on she and uh I, I guarantee you'll appreciate it wow she'll say it's legit do you want to spell that yeah. for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good idea it's it's not easy to spell so it's uh s s h um i l a j i t um okay all right caller area code 276 go ahead you are on the air
10: all right, cool, well, uh, first of all, thank both of y'all for doing this. You know in a world gone mad with a lot of fake news on t v It's great. We have people with courage like Dr. Kaufman that would would do this for us. um, but my question is, I've been taking apple cider vinegar with the mother for probably the last three months, and I don't know if it's a placebo
4: or I just my
10: my body just feels better, but if you could, Dr. Kaufman, could you kind of explain? What the apple cider vinegar is doing and what what the mother actually is?
3: Did he ask what the mother is?
0: Uh, Can you explain what apple cider vinegar with the mother is doing? By the way, no, I can't mute the ringer in between calls. I don't know how to do that yet. I just got all this working right before we got on the air and uh my apologies sorry it's a little rough guys i'm just trying my best here so that we can at least all communicate sorry if it's annoying it is what it is i'll figure this out more before future shows and we do a whole two hour program on this but uh, yeah so he he was asking what effect is it a placebo effect because he seems to be having good results but what does apple cider vinegar do good for you especially with the mother because that's what he's taking
3: Right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, no, I I like apple cider vinegar and it's not a placebo. You're really, uh, it's really doing something. So it could be useful for uh, several conditions. And, uh, you know, I I mentioned, um, I forget where, but uh, I disagree with many people about alkaline water. Um, A lot, you know, I, I definitely acknowledge that it's important to have an alkaline blood, but My opinion is that there are different parts of your body have different requirements for the optimum acid-base balance, right, which we call pH. And so your blood um, optimally functions at a pH of about 7.4, which is on the alkaline side. Seven is neutral. Anything higher is alkaline. Anything lower is acid. And you can alkalinize your blood simply by deep breathing, especially if you do a long exhalation breathing, like breathing in for four, out for seven. So that's how you accomplish that. Now, the stomach uh, is a highly acidic environment, right? It makes hydrochloric acid, which breaks down and helps di- to start the digestion process for your food. And it also is a barrier for parasites um, and other toxins um, because it will denature proteins, for example, and it will kill parasites. So by by drinking some apple cider vinegar, you're actually um, – adding to the acidity of your stomach. So this could be very useful overall, like I said, for those protective effects to aid in digestion and help prevent uh, parasites from getting into your body. And uh, it could be actually especially good for some people who have uh, acid reflux because that's actually often caused by not having enough acid in the stomach. Um, but there's a, there's another thing that's really good about apple cider vinegar is that it has it's a fermented product and it has probiotics in it. So it can help um, establish a balanced um, flora, which is the collection of microorganisms, mostly bacteria in your gut. So like, especially after you, like for those of you who would consider taking antibiotics, after antibiotics, it would be something good to help replenish your gut bacteria. Or if you're eating a lot of processed food or you're eating like GMO uh, crops that have lots of glyphosate, Um, that's roundup that actually kills, uh, bacteria as well as plants. So it kind of destroys your gut bacteria and apple cider vinegar is one thing that can help restore that. All righty.
0: Thank you so much, caller. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Um, can, whoop, where'd that go? Can you discuss food poisoning like salmonella and that sort of
3: thing? Yes, make sure you cook your food. <laughs> <laughs> well, <No>. <laughs> <laughs> but I like sushi. No, good, it's, the only, it's the only animal I eat. Actually, I think food poisoning is a really good thing to bring up because it can help explain another mechanism of apparent contagion. So when, when uh, a group of people who are close to each other, right, all have a common experience, they can be all exposed call to a toxic a substance right so they, they could the group could all be exposed to a toxic substance and then and then get sick and it appears as if they're passing it from one person to the other but they're not okay they just all ate the same dish or the same food so what what's happening with you know salmonella and staph and botulism is actually it's not an infection so there's not those bacteria that I mentioned, right, Staphylococcus, uh, salmonella, and um, botulism, which uh, is Clostridium botulinum, those organisms don't invade your body and start infection. When they're growing in the food that's not cooked well enough or that's been sitting around too long, they actually make a toxic substance as they grow. And it's the toxic substance that causes the vomiting and diarrhea.
0: Cool. All right. And uh, we had a question asked multiple times here, what, uh, what do you think of sodium chloride M...
3: Man, I can't speak. Th- sodium chloride MMS. Yes. So um, MMS is something that a lot of people have had good results with. Um, I think they might use it for like a deep detoxification or probably to get rid of parasites. Um, in my opinion uh, MMS can be a little bit difficult to tolerate and uh, to me it's a little bit scary because um, it can be fairly toxic uh, at the the larger doses you know some people get some irritation of their throat and um, esophagus from it so I generally just stay away from it Um, what I recommend instead for those issues is turpentine and uh, turpentine in my experience and others is a If you do it properly, it's extremely safe, very easy to tolerate, um, and very effective.
0: Cool. All right. Caller, area code 360, you are on the air. Hello.
7: Hello.
8: Um, I'm really curious about the, um, it's uh, hydrogen, no, not hydrogen (laughs) peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide? Well, I don't know. We get it, we're supposed to mix it. I can't even remember now. I had it on my head and I lost it. But you mix it. It's supposed to oxygenate your your blood, and you get the um, the uh, food grade kind, which is too, which you have to dilute. But you're supposed to put drops of it in your blood, uh, in your water, and it drinks. You drink it, and it oxygenates your blood. And supposedly germs and things like that don't live in a
4: good oxygenated blood. Is it hydrogen (laughs) peroxide?
3: Yeah, it, it, is, it is hydrogen peroxide that she's talking about. Cool. Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much, Carla. Thank you. Okay, Dr. Kaufman, how do you feel about that? Is that something you recommend?
3: Uh, no. This is something I think that is some kind of sales gimmick or something like that. Uh, the way your blood gets oxygen is through breathing. Um, hydrogen peroxide is actually a free radical generator. This is why, you know, people would uh, in the past use it on cuts and stuff because basically just kills every microorganism that might be uh, present at the site. So if you follow the germ theory and you have a cut, you want to kill everything around there so, you know, nothing gets in there and causes disease. But hydrogen peroxide is, is quite toxic. You know, everyone who talks about antioxidants, what antioxidants are is they basically quelch free radicals free radicals are like cause this chain reaction and it can basically destroy every every chemical so, so our body has these uh, systems right and like uh, glutathione which is uh, made by your liver is one, one of the main, main molecules that does this like our own antioxidant and this is why some people rep- rep- uh, recommend taking sulfur uh, which you can get adequately from your diet but a supplement you know is not harmful. Um, but it's to make the glutathione, which quenches the free radicals. So the last thing you want to do is add more free radicals um, into your body that would uh, cause oxidative stress. So I would definitely stay away from the hydrogen peroxide. Cool. All right.
0: Uh, Let's see. We got a question here in the chat room. We'll get to that in a moment.
4: Call from Edith.
0: Hello, Edith, you are on the air.
4: Hi, so I have uh, two uh, two small questions. Hopefully they're small. One of them <laughs> is about the MSM sulfur. When I was taking it, I had a lot of adverse effects, especially like really bad dreams and nightmares. But they say it's like detoxifying. So anyway, I quit that. If he can comment on the sulfur. And the second question was about, there's a lot of talk about how they're they're poisoning the, the food, to, the food, and now that there's been runs to the grocery stores for this quarantine, for you know, running to grab food so you can be locked up in your house. I'm wondering, would do you think he he's considered at all, or should we consider that? I mean, they've actually put food out there in during this process, this situation, to poison us with our own food. I mean, maybe we're mm-hmm. running to the problem, is what I'm thinking. Well thank you for what you're doing and if you can please comment on my question
3: thank you appreciate it yeah uh could you help me understand the second uh part of that question i think she was asking about msm right again yeah excuse me
0: yes and then uh, the second part was about food and creating the panic and running to the food uh is the poison in the food and all that which uh well (laughs) Food isn't very healthy these days. That's for sure. You got to be very selective. <laughs> I think I think that much is a given. Uh, Wayne, Wayne or Baldini, did you catch some of that? Because I had a little bit of trouble understanding it too.
7: Yeah,
1: it was difficult. I been, was having trouble. Yeah, sorry about well,
3: that. Well, I, you know, nonetheless, I can respond a little bit. I mean, certainly listened to a few minutes back to hear what I said about MSM. But uh, yes, I mean, there are lots of toxins in our food supply and in the water too, and even uh, parasites um, in our food and water. And certain products may uh, have a higher content of those. Uh, Certainly, um, animal products would have more parasites, but uh, processed food would have the most toxins. Um, Actually, certainly. So, you know, it's important to make sure that you, you know, you clean up your water. I recommend distilled water and re- or reverse osmosis water yep. um, because uh, things like, uh, for example, um, H. pylori, uh, which is a parasite that uh, has been uh, implicated with ulcers, um, that is uh, most commonly uh, gotten from the water, for example. So... Um, it's important to make sure that, uh, you know, you're careful to minimize your exposure as much as possible. But, you know, if, the, if somebody wanted to get everyone sick, uh, certainly the water supply would, would be a main way that, oh, yeah. uh, that you, could, you could reach a lot of people. Uh, I don't
0: know how you feel about these, Dr. Kaufman, but I use a gravity filter. Uh, there's three main brands that I'm familiar with that all seem to do about the same thing. You just got to make sure to get the one with the fluoride filter in it. Uh, Alexa Pure. Pro Pure and uh, Berkey Pure something I don't forget exactly but uh, yeah I use the Alexa Pure I've used Berkey's in the past they all seem to do the same thing and the water quality the taste is uh, light years ahead of anything comes out of the tap I don't know if you've used, ever used a gravity filter but the testing always seems to come out really well from the studies I've looked at do you have an opinion on gravity filters because they're relatively inexpensive
3: yeah well um, actually you know I don't all of this stuff is relatively relatively inexpensive I mean if you get a tabletop distiller uh, you can get one on eBay for like a couple of hundred bucks and you know it'll last forever uh, you just put water in it and turn it on and the next day you've got distilled water so uh, the reverse osmosis also is uh, pretty affordable. That's, that's what I have because it's nice to be able to just turn a faucet and mm. have running water. You, know, you can use it to wash your vegetables and such. And it cost, uh, I'd say, about $250 initially and then um, uh, about another $200 to have it installed. But then after that... Uh, basically just once a year you replace the filters they cost about 50 or sixty dollars and that's it so it's way 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 less than buying bottled water and yeah, yeah. I've seen you know uh, people and in low incomes buying bottled water because you know they think the the tap water in their sort of rent controlled apartment is not safe and they don't realize that bottled water is actually more expensive and not nearly as good as using one of these other technologies so yeah. so I would say go the extra step and get one of those because there are things that I've looked into this before, so I don't remember exactly what is left behind through the gravity filters. If you have one already, it's definitely way better than tap water. So I'm not saying it's bad. Um, It's just not quite to my standard. And then there's one other problem. And this, I know this is true with the Berkey filter. I'm not sure about the other brands you mentioned that the water comes out is alkaline. And, um, you know, I was talking earlier about uh, different pH for different parts of your body, and I, I really think a lot of people have had a lot of problems from alkaline water with uh, parasites being able to invade, with, um, with not being able to fully digest their food and having undigested food in their stool, um, and issues with uh, heartburn and acid reflux. Cool.
0: Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Randy from Houston has the, uh, the reverse osmosis on the, uh, on the tap. Uh, if I end up staying in this house, maybe I'll end up doing the same thing. Uh, $2 super chat from Rebecca. Can you please give more guidance on turpentine? How much and how often?
3: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, for turpentine, I, I, I don't want to reinvent the wheel because Dr. Jennifer Daniels really did excellent, excellent work on this. And by the way, I've learned a lot from her, including about Sheila ShielaJet. So I really want to give her uh, credit uh, with with uh, a lot of mentorship, and um, you know she puts out excellent material. So check her stuff out. Um, but on her website, vitalitycapsules.com, you can download a free report. It's called the Candida Cleaner. Um, I'm sure lots of people may be listening, already have this report, and it tells you everything you want to know about turpentine, uh, probably more than you want to know, and it has very specific detailed instructions um, on how to take it, and uh, what dose is appropriate, and how to prepare yourself, and I think actually that preparing yourself is the most important thing, because it's such a powerful, deep cleanser that it's going to get toxins out of your body. But if you don't have an exit strategy for those toxins, it's going to end up moving it around and it might be in a place now where it's not causing too much trouble. But if the toxins end up like going to your heart or your brain or your lungs, you could be really sick. And uh, so you you want to prevent that. So it's important that you do that preparatory uh, work first. Now, if anyone uh, goes through all that and uh, still has further questions, uh, then you're certainly welcome to get in touch with me for a consultation.
0: Cool. I know our friend Owen Benjamin uh, definitely pushes it hard. He believes in it a lot. Uh, Now, that'd be a live stream to get you on, Dr. Coffin, because he gets a ton of people. Uh,
3: (laughs) Oh, that'd be great. He gave me a shout out on uh, one of his his, um, daily uh, updates, actually, about the turpentine. So it'd be great to connect. And actually, I think we live pretty near each other. Oh, cool. I will see if I can make the connection for you then, if that's something you're
0: interested in. Let's see. Area code 707, you are on the air. Hello. 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 Welcome aboard.
10: Well, thank you so much. I find this all very fascinating. I was starting to watch Richie from Boston, and then I was directed over to this channel. Thank you so much for what you guys are doing. It's so hard to get any accurate information from the media, newspapers, even the YouTubes, but whatever. I thought I heard the doctor say that there's no such thing as viruses. I, maybe I'm incorrect. Um, I'm looking at a book called The Viral Storm by Nathan Wolfe. He's head of this uh, Pandemic Society. It says at the dawn of the new pandemic ed, age, the one picture in there that stands out that I've seen Joe Rogan show is the the, the twins that one had the vaccination, and one got the uh, the monkeypox. I, I think that's the name of it. So I'm a little confused. Are you saying that Jennings or Jenner, who initially did the cowpox vaccination that that wiped out smallpox? Is, is there something there that I don't know? And didn't vaccinations wipe out smallpox around the world? And, of course, I've got, I could have a half a dozen questions, but I don't want to take up too much time. If he could address that, that'd be awesome.
3: All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's, a, that's an excellent question, and, it, and I think it's a great uh, way to just sort of see what the pattern is with all these vaccines uh, for these uh, so-called viral illnesses. So if you go back and look at the actual um, records, uh, like from the uh, you know French Academy of Sciences and, and other uh, sources like that, where all the data is archived of the statistics after uh, Jenner's vaccine became mandatory... Um, in Europe, they had just a crazy number of deaths. I mean, it skyrocketed. Way more people were dying than with smallpox, and as a result of that, uh, you know, immunization, and they did it a little bit differently. Um, what What they did was they they did use cowpox, and what they they took the pus out of a cowpox lesion, right, and then to the person who was getting immunized, they actually made a small incision in the skin like a little bit of a superficial slice, so they weren't using needles uh, and syringes. And then they put the pus right in the cut. So, you know, it's just something that I think all of us would say that's not a very good idea to take someone else's pus who's sick and put it in your cut, right? And as a result of that, I mean, I I think the number of deaths is like in the millions possibly uh, as a result of that. And then when when they stopped making it mandatory, the basically people stop dying, and you you see this pattern. I mean, so that's a unique pattern, right? Because it it clearly showed the toxicity of that immunization strategy. But there certainly we we all have been told, right, that vaccines are responsible for eradicating all of these diseases, right, including smallpox. But that that's just not borne out at all by by the evidence. So you can find graphs that show. Over time, how many cases of this disease or that disease, and how many deaths from this disease or that disease? Uh, so, like measles, for example, you know, diphtheria, um, several illnesses. Uh, I think I put a big post about this up uh, a few months ago with these graphs, and then you'll see on the graph there'll be an arrow where the vaccine was was first used. And you'll see that the number of cases and the deaths went down way before, or, or right before in some cases, there was, there was even a vaccine available. So it, the reduction in those illnesses going away can't be related to the vaccine because the vaccine didn't exist when the disease was essentially eradicated. And for most of these illnesses, it's it's pretty well understood that the reason why they went away is because of improved sanitation and housing conditions. Uh, so in other words, you know, community measures to, uh, you know, uh, clean things up. Stop there dumping wasn't, your there...
0: poop and your pee in the streets out of your yeah. second story window. <laughs> exactly.
2: Hey, exactly. sounds like San Francisco. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> they're going backwards in time. Yeah, it seems hey, like if I'm it. not mistaken, I, I think Jenner's son actually died from his uh, his uh, inoculation that Jenner gave him, if I, I remember the story correctly. Well, so <laughs> that should tell people something.
3: He he actually, uh, this is before, he, you know, it was accepted that it worked. He actually experimented on that son.
2: That's by the way, disturbing if, in and of itself too. Yes, yes, it is.
0: If I missed any questions in the chat room, I'm trying to follow it, but this isn't uh, as easy today as it usually is because I'm dancing between all these different <laughs> windows. So if anybody has any questions in the chat room but can't call in, that's cool. I'll try and get them on the air for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, my... Oh, I
3: see someone in the chat. I want Robo Reply says they live by near Jennifer Daniels. Is that true? In uh, in Panama, that they're neighbors interesting i don't know who anyway that is.
0: <laughs> the phone number by the way is 985-888-0586 uh, i tried to look for those settings and i don't see them anywhere i just see where to change the source so i'm going to have to play with this more when i'm off the air so again i'm sorry guys that uh things aren't quite uh as smooth as a normal professional radio station it's got call boards and all that crazy stuff or even that really nice call board that uh Chris Geo has on TFR. I wouldn't mind having that. That works. But J- here we you're go. You're doing awesome. You're doing awesome, Jason. Thank you. You're making you're making it don't be too critical. it, happen. Make make it happen. That was the whole point. I wanted to make it happen in some way, shape, or form. So Dr. Coffin, sorry I keep stepping on you when calls come in, but uh, here we go. Call from... Area code
7: 864,
0: you are on the air. Hello. Hello. This is weird.
10: I've got a bit of a lag here. There is a
0: little uh, bit of lag. You probably want to turn down the uh, live stream on YouTube or whatever you're listening on. Bring that down a bit. Okay, cool. So I'm here in the here and now. Yes, you are. Welcome to the present. (laughs) Thank you. So glad to be here. So uh, we've got uh, Baldini,
10: we've got Wayne McCroy, got, uh, Jason Lindgren and, uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for all the truth that you, uh, bring to this realm. It's certainly greatly appreciated. Um, my question, um, for Dr. Andy is, uh, long-term intermittent fasting. Is there ill effects? Um,
3: Going long-term with that? Did he say long-term back pain?
0: Long-term effects of what was that? Uh, Intermittent fasting. Oh, intermittent fasting. Gotcha. I missed that part. Is there any long-term negative effects for intermittent fasting? I don't know. I just started doing it two weeks ago, and I'm I'm okay. But I don't know about long-term.
3: I'd say the long-term effect is improved health. (laughs) So that's a good thing. Absolutely. Okay. That's how I, uh, I, I highly recommend I it. A lot in, in fact, my opinion is that uh, the optimal way to eat is one meal a day. One meal but, a day, but but intermittent fasting is a big improvement from three meals a day. That's for sure. Cool.
0: Anything else, caller? Uh, that's going to be it. All Thanks right, you guys. Thank I really you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care, man.
3: Can I just follow up on one quick thing on that? I just sure. want to say, you know, the the a big reason for that. Um, is just to allow full digestion uh, to occur because, um, and and it's really important also to to have those meals uh, as early in the day as possible, not close to bedtime, because uh, when you're sleeping, your digestion shuts down. So if you eat a bunch of stuff close to bedtime, it's essentially just rotting in your gut uh, overnight until your digestion starts up again. So, uh, what this does is it allows you to fully absorb all the nutrients uh, that you need from those meals and then lets your gut rest a little bit, uh, which is actually really healthy for the bacteria in your gut. So, there's just like a lot of benefits and because you're able to fully absorb all the nutrition, you actually, once you get used to it, you'll actually be less hungry between those meals because your body will be satisfied with everything it needs. So it's an excellent strategy.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Can we please ask the good doctor about liposomal
3: vitamin C and Linus Pauling? Well, I'm not sure what you want to know about Linus Pauling, but um, I don't think liposomal vitamin C is necessary. I just recommend ascorbic acid powder, uh, which is just pure vitamin C. Is that Um, like um, ester C, like all those kind of ones? Hmm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Actually, uh, I just look for ascorbic acid, okay. uh, which is A S C O R B I C, which is the chemical name for vitamin C. Gotcha. Um, it, it's hard to get enough vitamin C from a plant source. Um, so like, I mean, you could take things like rose hips, but if you want to do like a higher dose vitamin C, like to, as an antioxidant to protect you against you know, vaccine injury, or actually vitamin C is an excellent blood thinner. So you can use vitamin C to treat blood clots. But for, for that, you know, you need to push the dose a bit and uh, be really hard to do with a, a natural source. So that's why I just get the straight powder. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Area code 219, you are on the air. Hello.
0: Hello. Um, I have a question. Uh, thanks so
6: much for this uh, opportunity. Um, I do have want to ask the doctor about if he has any thoughts on diatomaceous earth, um, if it has the same properties as uh, bentonite
3: clay for like detoxing the body. Yeah, that's a good question. So there are several like mineral substances that uh, are used in detoxification. So there's bentonite clay, there's diatomaceous earth, um, and there's zeolite, um, and, then, and then also activated charcoal, which is a little bit different, but uh, works in a similar way. So the bentonite clay is, and the zeolite are both um, reported to be very good at soaking up um, heavy metals. I'm not sure that diatomaceous earth uh, is is really good for that specifically, and I, I haven't just felt a need to recommend that because between the charcoal and the bentonite clay, I feel like... Um, pretty much uh, I can recommend one of those two for almost any condition that doesn't mean that the diatomaceous earth is not a good um, I encourage you to do some some further research on it yourself but if your goal is uh, for heavy metal detox uh, I would definitely I mean I what I personally think currently is the best is benite clay but uh, that may change over time as I get more experience um, using it for that purpose
0: awesome all right thank you so much any other questions caller uh last question um about concentrate drops.
6: Um if that's a good um, trace minerals minerals to get or the better ones for it.
0: I didn't quite catch that. Can you can you repeat the question?
6: Yes. Um for um we have a for trace minerals we use uh it's called concentrate.
3: Trace minerals called concentrate. What's
7: other question,
3: did you get that? Is that? So is that a brand name?
6: Um, I guess it says trace mineral drops and yes, it's constant
3: Right, so yeah, there are a lot of different uh, preparations and uh, so there's no way I could uh, evaluate uh, everyone myself but here's, here's how I would evaluate the product um, and you might have to do a little bit of uh, further research on this but so I would look at the spectrum or the number of minerals So Shilajit, I think, has something around uh, 70 or 80 uh, minerals in it, so you could see how many are, are in that preparation. And then the other issue is to make sure that the concentration of some of the metals that might be toxic, like arsenic, is very very low and below uh, safety standards. I would say uh, probably you know far below safety standards because I don't necessarily trust the safety standards. So sometimes that might be on the product labeling. Um, with uh, the brand that I use, actually, uh, uh, someone who recommended it to me got information from the, the manufacturer where they sent documentation to show the levels of all of the different minerals so they could see like that the arsenic or if there's any lead in there that they were just, you know, micro amounts that wouldn't be uh, relevant. So if that information is not available, I would, I would seek it out. Um, I, there is one other product that I can recommend, but it's um, available on Clive DeCarl's website. Um, he's another, um, uh, natural healer and, and he sort of talks a lot about minerals. So, and he sells a lot of mineral products on his website and he has a fulvic mineral product that I I would say is, is going to be top quality. Cool.
0: Anything else, caller? Uh, no, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, got a couple more questions in the chat room here. We got about half an hour left if anybody else wants to call in. Uh, what does the doctor think of antibiotics and the horrible destruction they cause of the good bacteria in the gut? Hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, good question. And uh, it's not just in the gut. It's actually throughout your whole body. You know, the microorganisms that are not human outnumber your human cells by 10 to 1. So antibiotics, you know, I'm sure people have heard me say this, means against life, anti-life, and so, so, um, you know, they don't discriminate that much. I'm, um, they're going to kill all different kinds of bacteria all over your body. So whatever function those bacteria. Uh, we're doing is going to be disrupted and you're going to have to heal from that. And in fact, you, you know, you see so much toxicity from antibiotics and even unexpected things like suicide. So some antibiotics actually result in increased risk of suicide, something you wouldn't affect. So what I'm trying to get at is that the effect it has could be is systemic throughout your whole body. Any system uh, could be affected by that kind of an assault. Uh, I think I gave the analogy uh, in a previous interview that let's say that, um, you know, you were in a city, um, and you want, there was a criminal gang in the city of about 10 people and the city population was 1 million and you wanted to eliminate that gang of 10. So, uh, if you were using an antibiotic, it would be the same as if you dropped an atomic bomb, if, if those exist, on the city and leveled everything. Um, you definitely got those 10 gang members, but there was a lot of collateral damage. The other thing is, um, I've discussed uh, terrain theory before, um, and uh, terrain theory, which I think has uh, way more experimental evidence than, than germ theory, uh, would say that the bacteria play an important supportive role. Uh, they're the cleanup crew, the recyclers. And they actually are active during the healing phase of the disease. So there's initially some uh, insult to the tissue that causes the disease. Uh, That could be exposure to a toxin or other things. And once that damage is contained, then the body goes into uh, cleanup and repair mode. And the bacteria are key to that process. So if you kill off all the bacteria, yes, it's true that your symptoms will resolve, but you will have incomplete uh, recovery or healing, and so that puts you at risk for uh, future disease in the same part of your body.
0: Cool. All right, area code 813, you are live on the air. Hello. Hey,
6: Jason, thanks for the uh, platform. It's excellent what you guys do, and Dr. Kaufman, thank you for your expertise and your continued um, 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 just support with all, all the things that you've been doing. Uh, Just a quick question. Um, I actually advocate a carnivorous diet. I don't know if you've ever, if Dr. Kaufman's ever explored this. Essentially, you have um, plants that have innate toxins and you take a ruminant animal, for example, and they're more adept to detoxify plants and you go to eat the actual muscle meat or the uh, animal fat. What are your thoughts? I think it's really it works well with uh, um, intermittent fasting because autophagy, you know, things of that nature.
3: So Okay.
0: Thank you very much, caller.
3: Yeah, that's that is definitely a popular question and uh, I think it's really important. And uh, so, you know, overall my opinion about uh, about nutrition and diet is that there's definitely not one diet that's the right one for every person. And for each individual over time, you're dietary needs are going to change. Um, so, uh, And part of that reason is that um, a lot of diets are somewhat incomplete, and if you keep with an incomplete diet over time, you're going to end up with uh, some deficiency of some kind of nutrient. So I do think that um, you can sure. have a carnivorous diet that's close to 100% meat um, and, and be quite healthy, but there's a couple of caveats. So you can't, uh, I think the, the caller mentioned something about eating the fat and the, uh, and the meat as well, but, but actually I would take it uh, much further than that because if you're just eating lean muscle meat, um, you're not getting proper nutrition and also it, it puts a real strain on your kidneys and at some point uh, they're going to be suffering as a result. So if you want to get uh, complete nutrition from meat only, uh, you have to eat organ meat, so, you're going to need to eat, uh, you know, definitely liver. Um, I think uh, probably brain would be good, maybe some kidney, pancreas, testicles. I mean, the whole gamut. Um, and then also, you need to eat the connective tissue parts of the animal. So, that's like the skin, um, the joints, the feet, the ears, uh, because that's what gives you all the collagen and all the support uh, structures there. So if you're willing to, like, eat all the parts of the animal, then, yeah, I think you could be uh, pretty darn healthy. Um, There may be, you know, some things that uh, you might supplement uh, with plants here and there, but uh, you could virtually uh, almost, uh, you know, be perfectly healthy just eating meat. I agree that's a possibility.
0: Cool. Uh, Karen B. wants to know about dysbiosis, if I'm pronouncing that correctly.
3: Dysbiosis, does this uh, have to do with your uh, your microbial system? Uh, or it was a texted question, so I'm not sure. Let me see if let I'm me gonna... uh, let me just look it up real quick. I know I've heard the term before, but I haven't used it.
0: And I'm going to try and get to the chat room's questions as best as I can. I know we're running low on time, and I don't want to kill Dr. Kaufman because he was on. (laughs) Well, I know you're on at least one other show. For all I know, you did ones before that. And the (laughs) call-in number is Uh, 985-888-0586 to what you said yes.
3: Yeah, so it is. It's uh, it's some kind of imbalance of the uh, the body's uh, microbes. So I, you know, I think um, the most important thing is to remove things that are going to be harmful to the gut microbes, and then most likely your body can restore itself because you have a couple of different uh, reservoirs. So first of all, if you've uh, listened to my interview on Crow Triple Seven, you'll know that I, I talked about. Um, microzyma and somatids and how bacteria uh, develop actually budding out of our own cells. So we can always regenerate the population of bacteria. Of course, it may take time and resources, like after we have a a big course of potent antibiotics. So, uh, and then also your, your appendix is actually a reservoir of all of the bacteria that are in your gut. And when you have like some kind of toxic exposure and you have diarrhea, which is flushing out the the toxins, your appendix can replenish all of those bacteria back into your gut uh, pretty readily. So if you can avoid the things that are damaging your gut, uh, flora and the flora in your body, like foods with glyphosate, for example, processed foods, things like that, your body's going to be pretty okay. Now, if you feel that you're symptomatic or you're or you can't stop having diarrhea and you think it's related to dysbiosis. Um, I think one really good thing to do would be to make your own, um, fermented vegetables, um, in and use use the air. So don't use a culture. So like, um, you know, sauerkraut would be a really easy thing to do with this. You just basically fill a jar with cabbage and some water and seal it up and let it sit there. Um, And what it does is it takes the local microbes that are in your er geographic area, and they ferment uh, the cabbage. And then once the fermentation is complete, and you know, please look up a recipe uh, to do this right, I I just gave an approximate procedure. You just drink the juice, and it's full of all the right microbes for your area, and uh, you know, you you should have some wonderful results.
0: Cool. All right, thank you so much. Area code nine one five. You are on the air with us.
4: Hi. Um, My question for the doctor is: I don't know if he's familiar with uh, uh, that. The brand is Straws, and it's called Heart Drops with European mistletoe. Apparently, it helps uh, support a healthy uh, cardiovascular system. I was wondering if he was familiar with that, and what were what were his thoughts about that? All
3: right. Thank you very much, caller. Yes, um, no, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, my only knowledge of mistletoe has to do with uh, the Christmas tradition. <laughs> um, but I would say that uh, one of the biggest um, you know, issues with people's hearts has to do with um, not having adequate water. Um, and perhaps okay. not having clean water. Alex. So, you know, depending on, there's a lot of different uh, things that can go wrong with your heart, thank you. but, uh, if you're doing cleansing and drinking adequate water, uh, most likely, uh, your heart's going to be in pretty decent shape. Um, you know, if anyone has a particular problem, uh, with the heart, I could certainly speak, uh, you know, more about that. And certainly people could contact me uh, outside of the show as well. Cool. As crush, thank you for the dollar
0: 99 super chat. Can you address nano silver, please? Dr. Kaufman.
3: Yes, uh, nano silver, colloidal silver, uh, all kinds of silver. I think uh, the best silver is uh, silver coins. Uh, it'll protect you through this financial crisis. <laughs> yeah, I agree there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not uh, I'm not really uh, not really a fan of the silver. Um, I think it sort of fits with the antibiotic type of uh, approach, and um, you know, for for infections and such, uh, I think I would go to turpentine again.
0: Okay. Uh, is is silver nano silver colloidal silver all that does that do kind of like a blanket
3: killing of
0: of microbes is is the idea here?
3: You know, that's my impression. I I haven't looked into it too carefully because some of the uh, people that I'm uh, learning from uh, have had some some not so good experiences with it. Either it hasn't been very effective, or it's caused some uh, some some bad effects that people have not liked. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, let's see. I could,
2: I could answer that one, Jason. Sure. Uh, yeah, it does kind of have a blanket effect for killing all kinds of microbial stuff.
0: So, oh, kind figure it's, it's it has one of those to, things where, cause how else would it know? Yeah, it, it's, it's,
2: it's one of those things. It works kind of like an antibiotic in that, that, uh, that way. So a lot of times people, if they recommend using the colloidal silver, they also recommend taking a probiotic along with it to kind of replenish some of those, uh, good gut bacteria and stuff that the the silver will kill so
3: cool gotcha yeah well you know that's kind of what i was thinking and like my approach is a bit different i want to actually help the bacteria clean up the site that they're trying to repair and that that's what turpentine does it basically dissolves the junk so it could just get get out into the blood and through the liver and out into the toilet That makes sense. Cool. Uh, From DLive, we have a question. What is
0: MRSA? What causes it and how to treat it?
3: Yeah, so um, I'm not sure that that it's really a problem, but what it stands for is uh, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. So Staph aureus is um, a bacteria that normally lives on our skin, doesn't cause any problems. Uh, This MRSA thing has been blamed for a lot of illness, but it's almost, all. so a lot of people in the community have tested positive for this, okay, and this is more of an accurate test, because this is a bacteria that they can actually identify, and they can culture in the laboratory, so if they culture it out, and they add the methicillin antibiotic, and it still grows, that's how they identify it, so so it is a real uh, sort of thing, Um, in a sense. But really, the only people who are blamed on getting seriously ill from this are people in the hospital who are already ill. And so it's hard to say what's going on, because they're pumping them full of toxic drugs and such. And once again, Koch's postulates have not been proven for this. So we can find MRSA on people who are healthy. In fact, I think something like 90% of healthcare workers are carrying this around in their body. So how come they're not getting sick from it? The other thing
0: I noticed about hospital stays, since I, not me personally, have been in the hospital other than visiting people, is they feed you crap food and give you unfiltered water. It's like the the very basic parts of nutrition that you would think they'd be concerned about aren't
3: really addressed very well. Absolutely. That, that has always astonished me as well. I mean, I've, I've when I used to work in the hospital and I would eat their food, I mean, it, I would, I would feel ill. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably just from generic <laughs> processed meat, Right. Just cafeteria yuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, you know, uh, that I, I will say like, if you're concerned about having this kind of thing, because there are people getting really sick and they're calling it super bugs or MRSA or some other, you know, VRE, there's a lot of uh, alphabet soup going on with this. Um, but, but what causes these uh, bad outcomes is actually having tubes in and out of your body. So people with feeding tubes, people with uh, you know IVs that stay there, with like uh, catheters, with indwelling catheters, that's the stuff that is going to make you sick and die. So if you want to avoid these kind of super bug infections, you know, I would I would advise you to stay away from the hospital and and don't let anybody put any tubes or other things in your body. Cool. All
0: right, a call that is on hold. I don't have an area code. Go ahead and uh, let's hear.
10: Jason, thank you very much. You're welcome, and to all the gang. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm just kind of got a general question for the group here, and um, struggling a little bit with some of my um, friends and family, loved ones, with some of this stuff like flat earth and the moon and all this crow gravy. Um, <laughs> could you guys explain how you guys deal
0: with your loved ones? Um, <laughs> <laughs> really a tough
7: oh, <laughs> that, God,
3: that is a great question. Over. I feel I you. I being... deal with that
1: a lot. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, what do you say
1: about it?
7: Well, well I mean, I, I tried you to, know, from, uh, from my take, this is
1: this is one where you know, this is certainly, ahead. I've been working on this awakening project for, for some months now, and um, th- there are some people who seem to be uh, a little bit more predisposed to uh, processing things differently in the way that they intake information and process it. Um, one of the things that you're certainly going to find is that if you try to evangelize people or try to convert them, you may end up doing more harm than good. You're going to get them to dig their heels in a little bit harder. Um, th- one of the The best things that I can suggest is to, uh, if you do enough research and find some low emotional impact. items, for for example, one of the things that I've recommended is, uh, g- if you can get them kind of I- in a situation where you can have them look at, at the idea that, um, you know, that governments and, and media lies to them, you can point at some things that have, uh, no, um, immediate emotional impact. For example, Gulf of Tonkin incident is a good one, uh, that that it's been acknowledged, there's empirical evidence, it's yeah. been, uh, you know, acknowledged that they did, in fact, do this, and you can kind of move on to the, um, Operation Northwoods, that this is, uh, uh, you know something that was put together by our government, uh, and, and it's th- th- there's uh, there's no question. This is not conspiracy tinfoil hat stuff. There's no accusations that can be thrown that way. The, this is actual fact. And so, if people can kind of um, if they can process the idea that they have been lied to uh, by by their government over time, uh, then then they can m- maybe. Uh, begin to look at some of these th- things, but uh, I have to—I just have to tell you that some people process information in a way, and, and um, again, I think Dr. Kaufman could speak to this to, to some degree because he has a background in psychology as well. But they're more—they're more, um, more driven, and they get their uh, a lot of their self-identity by what other people think. And so they they definitely don't want to uh, put themselves in a position for confrontation and uh, to be on the outs or ostracized. And so if they feel like they're going to uh, put themselves in that situation, they're going to always take the safe route. Uh, so th- it is going to be very difficult. You know, there's the old expression, you can drag, you know, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And um, from my perspective, one of the best ways to do here is to, um, t- to understand the information really well, um, simply jumping from one ship to the the other and, and believing one thing versus something else without having done the research yourself is probably not going to be helpful. So if you have strong empirical evidence, uh, if you're able to uh, show some of these uh, things, if somebody asks you questions, be ready with a good solid answer, um, th- then you're in a little bit better position. But but I, I recommend against trying to evangelize people um, at, at any point because um, you may end up doing more harm than good. So look for opportunities for them to ask questions. And this is certainly, this current situation with the COVID-19 is certainly uh, one of those situations where a lot of the people that um, have we would identify as, as normies or woolies or whatever um, are saying, "Hey, this doesn't seem right," uh, and, and this is an opportunity for you to to kind of perhaps um, give them some solid information. But um, but if you approach it from an emotional aspect, um, you're probably going to again do more harm than good. You got to have good solid information behind it, and this is one reason why uh, I love uh, having Dr. Kaufman and other and you know Wayne and other people who do. Sc- Good solid research, um, so you can provide empirical evidence for these things. Because um, simply going on uh, emotions and feelings really doesn't do much good. Is that helpful, Collie?
0: Still with us?
10: Yes, very much so. Thank you very much. Ah, uh,
0: you're quite yeah. Welcome.
10: I usually feel pretty rock solid in what, what's you know what's in my head. It's just a matter of once they find out, they tend to explode or get angry, and it's hard to stay logical and reason filled when they get so emotional
1: so yeah. well yeah you, you, that's that is true and, and there are some things for example of like the moon landing and, and um, the you know the, the shape of the earth uh, that there there's emotional be, connections
0: there that's what you have to keep yeah. in mind you're, you're challenging people's emotional uh, it's, it's social engineering that's built up in them over over the normal thing, course of their lives but a lot of people have an attachment to it things like the moon landing you got to keep in mind there are a lot of NASA fan people out there I I was yep. one of them
1: I wish there was more to it than that. And there's a certain amount of ego involved, right? So that people don't want to feel like they have been uh, duped. Duped, And and, and it makes them feel like if if they accept the fact that they have been duped or misled, that they believed a lie that that it's going to make them look stupid, uh, so they don't want to accept that. So, uh, wh- but wh- a couple of things. One of the things that I find is that any of these uh, items that have a very high level of emotional response to it. So, for example, um, the the idea of the flat Earth or moon landing, when people get immediately very angry and they really ramp up their their emotional level when you talk about it, um, these things indicate to me that that is an artificial uh, landmine that's placed there. That's that's not a that's not a Normal response to something that doesn't that shouldn't have um, direct personal, um, you know. Uh direct personal response from somebody they shouldn't be that emotionally invested in it so it indicates to me that there is uh, some level of programming going on there Uh, so again i I would tend to kind of avoid some of those things and again go with more of the softball um, approaches if you can Um, again start start with areas uh, that that have a less direct emotional impact and uh, there's a larger proximity between the person and the uh, and the uh, incident Right, so again, there there are a number of things, and I'm kind of doing some more research to try to get some more of these seed ideas uh, to go back, um, that you can see some specific things in American history, for example, uh, that it is empirically proven that uh, propaganda was used on on the American public, and and most of those things are wouldn't have much impact on people now but once they can see that it's happened uh, then you can kind of move forward from there but yeah especially if they start to get really emotionally involved in this conversation and it's it's best to back up and uh, at least that's my experience not not to push that issue because you're going to get them to dig their heels in and um, you, you're going to do better i think if you um, if you approach them by understanding that at one point you were there as well right
0: does that help caller a good point yeah very much so And jason i slip send a personal thank you i know my girlfriend is a big fan
6: of yours she loves your energy not as much as a fan of crow or owen they have a little more
10: vulgar
0: for her but
10: <laughs> whenever your your energy is light and fine good morning to you she
0: loves that stuff so keep it up guys really thank you. you all right caller thank you so much and that's going to be our last caller because we're almost to time so sorry for that but we do have three more super chats i'm going to try and squeeze in here matthew ross thank you for the ten dollars new zealand hello is the sweetener stevia safe and when you say turpentine is that the mineral thinner used for painting and what is the best source or, and or brand to use for cleaning out purposes
3: yeah so it, yes it is the uh, paint thinner uh, absolutely and uh, what it really is, though, is it's uh, it's an oil distilled from the sap of a spruce or a pine tree. So it's a natural product. It's very similar to an essential oil, uh, but it's not from the leaf, so it's a little bit different. And um, it doesn't matter what brand, but the label has to say pure gum spirits of turpentine. Uh, because you don't want it to have any adulterants in there or anything else, um, it's fine if you want to buy it from the hardware store as long as the labeling is appropriate. Uh, but if you want to go to some kind of uh, boutique brand, that is uh, totally fine too. This is not something that is uh, going to break the uh, pocketbook. Cool beans. And was there was there another part to that? Yes, uh, I am
0: homozygous mt. Oh, am I reading the right one? I'm sorry. Uh, is this is stevia safe? Oh, stevia. White fluffy um, poison, in my opinion.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't uh, do it. Um, if you want something sweet, eat a piece of fruit. Uh, actually, Fair you enough. know, some some sugar is okay, okay? I mean, everybody deserves a treat. I mean, I have a treat. You know, in the summer, I take my kids for soft ice cream. I'm sure that is super toxic, right? But if you... If you eighty five percent of the time you eat really clean and drink clean water, and the other fifteen percent of the time you know you can have a little enjoyment, I mean, life is not supposed to be all about asceticism, <laughs> right? And that that's the, the the big reason for having those bowel movements is to keep those toxins flowing out of your body. So that will overcome quite a bit. So I like that eighty five fifteen rule because that will keep everyone happy and healthy.
0: Cool beans. Glenn C 100. Thank you for the 499. I am homozygous MTHFR positive. Can you talk about the difference of L methylfolate or natural folate versus folic acid?
3: Yeah. So this is uh, something I don't really uh, have expertise on. So I'm going to have to pass on this question. Uh, Sorry about that, but I'll definitely look into it. So the next time I get asked, I'll know what to say. Fair enough. Uh, Razor Queen, if you want to email
0: me at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com, any answer I get from Dr. Coffin in the future, I will absolutely get to you since you did a super chat to ask that. I try to be as fair as possible. Okay, Razor Queen. Uh, four-
2: Jason, I, I might be able to help a little with that one too. Um, methylfolate, from my understanding, is the like the precursor uh, enzyme for uh, the pro- production of the, the actual folic acid itself if i remember correctly uh one of them's like the precursor in your body and i i'm forgetting which one it is off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure it's the, the methyl folate uh so it you know going off of that this is just like your your precursor like if you were to take uh something like a uh, a coenzyme q10 as compared to resveratrol uh one's a precursor of the other that's the one of the major differences i know about that but uh otherwise i mean i would have to look into that again i haven't looked at that information for quite a while so but uh yeah definitely uh we could follow up with dr kaufman on that one when he researches it more That'd well well
3: know. i did some quick research while you were talking wayne <laughs> and um i thought you uh, might you're 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 exactly right. it is it is uh, a, a part of the synthetic pathway uh, and the folic acid pathway. And you know folic acid is a very important vitamin. But uh, you know I, actually, I think the best source of uh, you know of folic acid is going to be you know, from from leafy green vegetables. But if you want to take a supplement, uh, I usually recommend B fifty complex, uh, which has all the B vitamins, including uh, folic acid. Um, I don't recommend any extra folic acid. I, I want to say, though, I think that this project, the, uh, the, the, the what is it, uh, THF, tetrahydrofolate, or uh, whatever it is, I think it's going to be way more expensive than the B-complex 50. And sometimes these things are touted as being a lot better because of, uh, you know, some reason that may not be uh, a real. And then they want to charge you like 10 times as much as getting the regular old thing. So um, you know, I would definitely be a little bit skeptical and look from that point of view.
0: Cool beans. All right, Razor Queen for four ninety nine. Thank you. What does Doctor Coffin think about MMS and also amalgam fillings and dental root canals associated with other diseases like heart disease, depression, etc.?
3: Yes. Well, so I think I've talked about MMS uh, earlier, so I would encourage you to to watch uh, earlier on in the show when I when I address that. But um, the good question I see a lot of people actually were asking about uh, the mercury and the amalgam fillings. So yeah, this this definitely is a problem. Uh, I have them myself uh, from uh, my teen years, and um, you know I wish I'd never got them. Uh, but there is a hunk of mercury stored uh, in your teeth. So, the issue is that it's uh, quite tricky to get them out. Um, there's a, a, a serious risk that while they're removing the fillings that uh, there could be mercury vapor that gets absorbed into your tissue mm-hmm. and causes further problems. And also, when they've looked at people uh, getting this done, but by the way, which is a, also quite expensive, I mean, many thousands of dollars, uh, the procedure, um, that only a small portion of the people that had this done actually had any real improvement. So so uh, the way I would approach this is um, I would be have a conservative approach and say that if, if you really want to get them out, go for it. Just know that you may not be very happy after and there is a risk. But I think you can mitigate the problem substantially by using the trace mineral supplement, which is going to displace any mercury that is uh, in a place... Uh, binding to one of those enzymes. And and by having ongoing cleansing, so that way any mercury that leaches out from those fillings will exit the body instead of being stored somewhere and causing problems. And it definitely can cause disease. It's most commonly uh, known to cause neurologic disease. And I suppose that that could uh, end up being depression, but more likely it's going to cause some kind of uh, nerve palsy uh, or a what what might be referred to as a degenerative neurologic disease, you know something like MS, dementia, um that kind of thing. And those things are often, you know, associated with depression and can, so the same thing can cause those as cause depression. but I, I personally haven't worked with someone that that was the cause of depression.
0: All right. It looks like we got one more it is Razor Queen for 4.99. Thank you so much. What does Dr. Kaufman think about the Spanish Flu being a Rockefeller bacterial vax experiment on US soldiers out of Fort Riley, Kansas,
3: led by Dr. Frederick Gates? Wow. So, we're talking about the Spanish Flu of uh, 1917 or 1918 there that uh, had 50 million deaths. Um, Is that the one?
0: That's the one.
3: Well, that sounds like a really interesting, I'd like to see some research on that. Uh, One hypothesis I am familiar with is uh, from the book uh, The Invisible Rainbow, which has to do with uh, the first initial laying down of the electrical infrastructure to uh, bring uh, electricity to people's homes. Um, I haven't fully investigated that theory, but uh, there's some impressive data on it. Yeah, there Uh, there is
1: some research that that uh, indicates that, as they were uh, looking to develop uh, vaccines for uh, for the uh, soldiers, uh, that they did uh, use several. Um, uh, botulism and uh, several other in the in same horses, and they use uh, horses and donkeys, uh, and that uh, that may have been uh, the cause of of the Spanish flu. So there, there's uh, a, hmm. of some pretty good research, and I'll have to try to come up with that for you, doctor, on, on uh, where you can find that.
3: Yeah, I would love to read about that. That that certainly sounds like a possibility.
1: Yeah, and that, that it was mainly, uh, it began mainly with the young men returning from war. So uh, there's a, a pretty good amount of evidence. I'll, I'll see what I can find for you and uh, send that along to you. Fantastic. Thanks.
0: All right. Last question looks like we got here from Tranius, $5. Thank you so much. Hello, Doc. Can you give your insight into physician burnout? What do you think will happen now that we have this craziness going on? Oh wow, that's a that's a
3: great question. That's, that's you know, a very good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, up to now, this would be a really easy answer because I would say that it's electronic medical records is the the biggest cause of physician burnout. Uh, but this definitely takes the cake. I mean, uh, you know, we're expected to um, sort of uh, be responsible for this whole situation and uh, you know wear all this weird gear and. You know, tell everybody to stay away from each other, and it's uh, you know, it's it's really uncomfortable because I think uh, you know the majority of us realize that this is not a serious thing, and we're like, what? Why are we having to do all this stuff? Um, and and it's a real burden because we're sort of look, you know, we're like the liaison between the you know government health establishments and the general people. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, I've definitely felt pressure to like be some kind of, uh, you know, spokesperson for the for the main thing here. But uh, uh, I'm, in fact, acting as the opposite of that. But uh, but but feeling that pressure, I think that's what most doctors are kind of going through the motions doing. And, uh, you know, they're very conflicted, very conflicted. And then there are some who are extremely afraid as well. You know, they're uh, wearing hazmat suits waiting for the uh, bodies to be uh, trucked in layers onion thank you for the nine pounds
0: 99 says number one fan really appreciate that all right we're gonna have to cut it there i don't want to uh take advantage of our good doctor here uh any final thoughts you want to wrap up with gentlemen take your turns
2: Uh, i just want to thank dr kaufman for coming on with us it's been a real honor sir good to have you here i'd love to have you back again if uh you know the mood ever strikes you
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this was uh, definitely a pleasure. Um, you guys are uh, all really uh, great to work with, and uh, the, you know, the audience had some really uh, good and intriguing questions, and I know they're questions that a lot of people had because I've been getting the same ones in e- email, so hopefully uh, people got some answers uh, that they wanted tonight. I just want to uh, remind everyone to uh, check me out um, on my YouTube channel. Uh, my show is called Medicamentum Authentica. That's uh, M-E-D-I-C-A-M-E-N-T-U-M, Authentica, like authentic with an A. I'll type it in the uh, chat as soon as I'm done talking. And uh, uh, my next show, I'm going to talk about, you know, how to... Prepare yourself um, for a possible uh, vaccine and protect yourself against the injury. And I'm going to talk about how you can uh, treat any kind of acute upper respiratory illness like, you know, pneumonia, colds, flu, sore throats, that kind of stuff um, at home on your own. Um, And uh, that should be coming out uh, this Monday. So once again... Yeah, once again, thanks to everyone. Uh, Jason, you're a great host, and uh, I would uh, definitely uh, be happy to to, uh, be on your show anytime. Thank you. Yeah, we'll
0: definitely have you back. Would The Great Baldini like to make some final words?
1: Uh, Well, again, just uh, thanks (laughs) to Dr. Kaufman. Clearly, I was so fascinated. I I barely, you know, said anything, which is pretty unusual
0: for me. The (laughs) Great Baldini is our (laughs) stand-up philosopher. Yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but no, this is, um, it's been great information. And I, I listened with fascination to the show that the shows that, uh, you did with Crow and, and confirmed, uh, some things that I had, uh, studied on as well. So, um, I, I would, uh, again, highly recommend, uh, people to check out his, uh, his channel, his podcast, um. Uh again, I had some some thoughts that, that I that I would have added earlier about the um, kind of looking back into uh, the correlation that, that we have long been led into this idea that, um, that that the human body functions much as a machine uh, and that there's uh, biomechanics kind of went together and and this is really a misnomer and and uh, it certainly leads into the transhumanist idea. Uh, we are certainly organic uh, beings and, and not a machine. And certainly uh, trying to, to compare the the human mind to to a computer is, is also a, a fallacy as well. Um, but uh, I just, again, encourage people to, to continue to do research. Don't just uh, take our word for it. Do the research on your own. Uh, we can give you ideas and places to, to go uh, to, to look for these things, uh, but don't just accept uh, anything that anybody says, uh, certainly not from the mainstream media and, and not even from us. Just uh, take this information and, and use it as a springboard, a platform to, uh, to, to start the, the research on your own and, and become well-versed in it and and find things out for yourself. So Dr. Kaufman, thanks again for, for being here. I'd love to chat with you uh, later offline.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Kaufman. Ace McLeod, I see you there. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you as always. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. I sincerely apologize to whatever questions I couldn't get to. I hopefully got to all of the super chats. If I did not, please email me at secrets of Saturn at uh, gmail.com I will try and uh, bug Dr. Kaufman just a little bit more with any questions I may have missed thank you so much to everyone we had the biggest turnout of course we've ever had over 700 people on YouTube and uh, I think about 300 on DLive somewhere in that ballpark Uh, my next step is to see if we can get Dr. Kaufman on with uh, Mr. Owen Benjamin because he gets in the thousands at one time and that's a lot of minds we want to try and help out there so thank you so much gentlemen we'll see you again Thank mm-hmm. you.